Welcome to Hub and Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub and Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. It's our first podcast for 2022. I want to wish everyone a happy new year. I'm Letitia Gonzalez, Price and Markets Editor here at NGI. The new year certainly has started off with a bang for the natural gas market, with the United States experiencing its first widespread freeze of the winter. From plunging temperatures to pipeline freeze-offs and near-record export demand, the first few days of 2022 have popped many fireworks for the gas market. Here to discuss some of the major themes we saw as temperatures plunged to seasonal lows and to offer up his personal assessment of how the gas market fared during the freeze is James Bevan, Vice President of Research at Criterion Research in Houston. James, welcome to NGI's Hub & Flow. Howdy. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to hopefully give a little bit of insight today. Yes. So finally, we did see the first deep freeze of the winter. There have been some freezes here and there. We've seen some cold temperatures in the Northeast. You and I are both in Houston, though. So up until the last few days before the new year, I mean, we were running in the 80s. (laughs) So temperatures were hot. But this was the first time that most of the United States had those very low temperatures. So Overall, how did the gas market do? So kind of starting from a production perspective, like you mentioned, first major freeze down south, I think since the winter storm, really. And so it really took a toll on production rolling into the new year. It hit over the New Year's Eve weekend. Also, at the end of months, production used to tends to do some quirky things like drop all of a sudden for no real explanation. But this time around, it seems like freeze-offs were the big factor, and they took off about four to five BCF a day by January 2nd in production at the lowest point. Okay. Were there any regions that you saw where production took a you know more substantial hit than others? Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of makes sense when you look at the U.S. from a regional point of view. So there's three main areas most people look at. Appalachia or the Northeast, which is like your Marcellus, Utica, Shale. That area is used to freezing temps, so their wells are a lot more sustainable when it gets cold. So when we're looking in that region, we tend to think, all right, when temps get below like 25 degrees, maybe into the teens, that's when we start factoring in freeze-offs. And then down in the south central, to cut off, we usually just use freezing. 32 degrees is the rule of thumb for when freeze-offs began. And then the Rockies tends to get hit pretty hard in the winter just because cold's out. The cold out in Colorado and states like that gets pretty brutal. So those production assets tend to be impacted pretty severely. And this time around, it was all of them that got impacted by freeze-offs. Right. And so I know, for example, you know, some of the power grids across the country, they saw their highest power loads of the, of the you know, winter season so far. So how did those regions cope with the stronger demand given the production cuts? You know, how did gas kind of work around that lost output from, you know, these various regions? Absolutely. So kind of starting down in south-central production, Freeze-offs impacted about a beat, one and a half BCF a day since the start of the new year, and that was spread all over the place. But power loads, loads in ERCOT can handle, you know, 32 degrees temperatures. Nothing got too crazy. It wasn't 
an extended freeze like last year when we had power down, you know, all week because we saw 20 degree temperatures for prolonged periods of time. So the South Central mainly just by them losing gas production, it tightened things up in other regions. There's still a ton of gas flowing up into the Midwest and the Northeast to meet demand up there. And it was a little bit of a test of the system to see how things coped. ERCOT didn't have any issues, but if you look at PGM and MISO, which are the main power assets up in the Northeast and the Midwest, their dynamics on a power stack level were pretty interesting. They had had a lot of worries going into this winter about coal reserves, were they going to have enough if things got really tight? But luckily in November and December, it was overall pretty warm, like there were some cold days for sure, but they never really had to dip into critical reserves or anything like that. So it seems that with this first cold shot, you're start, starting to see those coal producers really dip into their reserves a little bit. Both PGM and MISO set season-to-date highs for their coal generation. Gas did pick up, but it didn't get close to the highs we saw in December and November. Okay, well, that's good to know. So you mentioned ERCOT, and like I mentioned, you and I both are here in Houston. And, you know, I think before this freeze this weekend, I think everybody, you know, across the state and certainly here in town, just really a little worried. You know, there were definitely some jitters that, you know, wondering whether people would wake up to a warm house or if it would be a repeat of last February. And thankfully that didn't happen. Other than the pipeline freeze-offs, it seems, you know, we had more than enough power reserves, but were there any glaring infrastructure issues that were in the South Central region? Or does it seem like we are, have made some improvements since then? Really temperatures haven't gotten quite as extreme as they would need to get to see any strain on the system. 32 degrees, 30 degrees, even, you know, the 20s for a couple of days isn't anything crazy down south for the winter. We tend to see more severe winter weather in January, February. So we have a couple months to go to see if things get tight again. But with the winter storm in February of 2021 was one of those once in a decade storms. Could it happen again this year? Sure. It's just kind of a random occurrence. It's hard to predict. But we haven't really tested the system at all. And there hasn't been enough time from a regulatory point of view to really roll in any kind of significant changes. I'm sure that certain power producers have somewhat winterized their facilities a little bit, but there's no mandate to have them done, you know, today or tomorrow. There's there's stuff going through the system to shore up those things moving forward, but I think it's going to take a couple of years to really roll out those kind of upgrades to the entire grid. Right. Well, and so you mentioned the issues in PJM and MISO as well. I think that We've gotten lucky so far that in a way that, you know, the winter so far has been generally warm. I think December was the second warmest on record. And so that's really helped a lot of the ISOs, but also the natural gas industry kind of, you know, meet demand. We've we've seen our supply picture greatly improve. I know we had major concerns in the summertime about whether we would have enough supply for our own demand here in the United States, not to mention all the exports that we're sending to Asia and to Europe. But the weather models lately, I mean, I guess as they always do, they seem to be kind of struggling with, you know, how long we're going to see cold. I know here in Houston, it's already back in the 70s today. So that's that's great and all. But what about some of the other regions like the Northeast and whatnot, you know, it seems like the models are struggling with what the forecast is calling for later on in January and even into February. Do you guys have any insight into that? 
As far as like a prolonged seasonal weather look, those are always hard to come by. And when you do come by them, it's a flip of the coin, if not worse, if it's accurate or not. Through the next two weeks or so, it looks like temperatures are slowly moving back towards normal, if not a little bit below normal after mid-January. This, this major cold shot that we started out the year with should be fading by this weekend. So the weekend in January 7th should be when it kind of fades off a little bit and eases up. We should see those Appalachian freeze-offs come back online. Things should loosen up a little bit around the country and we should be out of the woods until the next big cold shot. Right. So well, that that's good news, definitely, to hear that production, you know, a lot of these freeze-offs and the lost output from that should start coming back here later on this month. I guess if, if we were to see another cold snap in, in j- late January or February or, you know, maybe even into March, what kind of impact do you think that that could have on the storage situation? I mean, I looked at prices this morning and like I mentioned, I, you know, I track the market every day and there doesn't really appear to be much of a storage crunch fear. If you look at the March-April spread on Monday, it was less than a penny and then today it's a few pennies. So does that does that mean that, you know, we're kind of you know, we're in the clear as far as the winter season goes and, and any supply concerns that people may have? Seems like as far as a giant cutoff, putting us at a really low number for the end of withdrawal season is out of the cards for now. Again, we could get a, a brutal February and March, like you mentioned, it's just not something that most people can plan for or want to trade on, I would expect. That's just a difficult thing to put all your bet on to you don't really want to get burned with that widowmaker spread there at the back end of the season. But any prolonged drop in production, like if these this first beginning of the year drop was for some reason not tied to freeze-offs, that could equate to a ramp in storage withdrawals. But like I mentioned, it seems most folks might already be looking ahead to the summer and next winter for what they want to trade on. Right. Now let me ask you something. One of the tidbits that I keep seeing in the in the EIA data when it comes to storage is that we have been withdrawing from salts. We started withdrawing from salts earlier in the season and by a little bit more than maybe what the market has been expecting. And I would expect that to have been the case with this, with this freeze. Now, given a couple of things, given that exports are so strong and expected to grow even further here in the next several months, and the fact that so many of the pipelines here in the region are interstate pipelines, meaning, you know, we don't see the flows, you know, they're not subject to the same regulatory standards as the interstate pipelines. I'm just wondering, is, is there any concern there as far as those the salt inventories? It seems like those are really pulled on when things get intense or suddenly ramp up really quick. Like, for example, Monday, Tuesday, transcontinental gas pipeline showed how fast they can start pulling on storage when they have to. Heading into the new year, so New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, Transco was actually injecting a little bit into their storage meters along the Gulf Coast. And they flipped over the course of two days to pulling about 1.2 BCF a day when it got super cold. And the Northeast couldn't really supply the whole East Coast. So intense cold shots like that are already kind of factored in for the winter, but if we get more than usual, it could be a little bit of a situation for salts. Okay. Well, I guess we just have to hope that the rest of the winter (laughs) plays out like it has 
before the new year. So, well, that's really great, James. I appreciate the color. That was really great insight. And like you mentioned, still plenty of variables ahead as we, you know, get through the final two months of the official winter season and then turn our heads to summer. But always, always an exciting time in the gas market. And James, I appreciate you coming on Hub and Flow. So I don't know if you want to give a plug for Criterion Research, but feel free to. Yeah, you can always just Google Criterion Research, find us on there, drop us a question, a line, check us out on Twitter at Pipeline Flows if you want to see any notable information on natural gas fundamentals. We do a whole lot outside of that, a whole lot of reports, data, all kinds of things. So just drop us a line and I can show you what we do. Awesome. Well, thank you, James. For everyone else listening out there, we thank you for joining us for NGI's Hub and Flow. Don't forget to rate our podcast. And with that, I wish you all a great new year. This is Letitia Gonzalez for Natural Gas Intelligence. Thank you. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. If your business requires daily, weekly, or midweek pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate, and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the Resources tab to find the podcast page. 